Circa Resort and Casino present Professional Hockey Southwest Weekly. Brought to you by Bell Ford, the Arizona Ford Giant at 2401 West Bell Road in Phoenix or at bellford.com. Verizon Wireless, this is 5G Done Right. By Jesse Ray's Barbecue in Las Vegas. Pick up any of our award-winning sauces on the way home tonight at 5611 South Valley View Boulevard in Las Vegas. Circa Resort and Casino, a sports book so big, they built a casino around it. Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila, ultra smooth, Arizona owned. Behind the mask, whether on the ice or in line, the Valley headquarters to provide all of your hockey needs. By M-Drive, presenting partner of what drives you. M-Drive for energy, stamina, recovery. And by Summer Skates, get your personalized shower shoes and koozies at icetimehockeysw.com slash partners and click on the Summer Skates banner. Professional Hockey Southwest Weekly presented by Circa Resort and Casino is a part of the icetimehockeysw.com network. Here are your hosts, Scott Strandy and Zach Bondurant. All right, welcome in, hockey fans, wherever you may be listening to us live on the Podbean app. This is Monday night, which means it is Professional Hockey Southwest Weekly, presented by the Circa Resort and Casino, as well as the D Hotel and the Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada. Scott Strandy joining you from Scottsdale, Arizona. My co-host, as always, Zach Bondurant, down in beautiful Chandler, Arizona tonight. Uh, Zach, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Well, I'm doing real well. Um, we're getting inching and inching and inching a little closer to hockey, I believe, professional hockey. Uh, the talk today is that maybe some of the players have been asked or all of the players have been asked to return to their home cities and uh, get prepared for uh, what could be a training camp within the next couple of weeks and possibly some games coming up uh, mid-January to, to the first part of February. So, um as nine months have passed since the pandemic <laughs> really kicked us in the rear end, um, maybe we're getting closer. Yeah, no, I mean, um, I know it's been uh, up for debate on, you know, when they start, how they start. Fans, no fans, are they going to do advertisements on the jerseys to try and make up some of the profitability on the games and all that stuff? But, yeah, it, it's good to hear that they're finally starting to – they're finally starting to get a – get on the ball here so it's i mean from my understanding the this the agreement was signed and we're good to go so let's just freaking play <laughs> <laughs> i hear you uh well ncaa hockey is playing as you know um the uh, the last team in our area to play a game will be tomorrow when colorado college and western michigan square off uh 10 30 in the morning albeit in uh beautiful omaha nebraska but Games are getting underway or have been underway, and now with uh, Colorado College uh, getting through their quarantine of, uh, of COVID, they're ready to play as well, so that's cool. A um, couple things I want to talk about before we uh, bring our guests on, and we've got a great guest tonight. we got the former voice of the Nashville Predators, the former voice of the Tucson Roadrunners, and now the editor-in-chief at uh, VegasHockeyNow.com. So uh, we've got a very knowledgeable hockey voice to uh, and brain to pick tonight when we have Tom Callahan on. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, but Zach, you put out a graphic for us uh, yesterday uh, regarding a trade 25 years ago. Tell us about it. 
Yeah, so December 2nd, uh, well, this led up to December 6th, but December 2nd was the night that will live in infamy for the Montreal Canadiens when Patrick Waugh got shelled for, I think, six goals and blamed his coach for leaving him in just to humiliate him. And as he walked by the the president and general manager by the bench, he said, it's my last game as a Canadian. And a few days later, on December 6th, the Canadians traded Patrick Waugh and Mike Keenan to uh, the Colorado Avalanche for three players who, if you look at it um, on the trade tree, that that trade was highly lopsided depending, based on what the Canadians got back. But uh, the day that kind of set Colorado onto the path to raise the first of two Stanley Cups in their history, both won with Patty Waugh and Nett. So, um, I mean, I grew up watching him. Um, he's definitely my favorite goalie. Uh, I don't think anybody will be able to really touch the type of personality and skill that he brought to the game. Um, the fact that they were to pull off that trade and, and get Patrick Waugh and the captain, uh, bring him over and have such a big hand in getting the Stanley Cup in 95-96 was, was huge. And then, um, I mean, gosh, the, the 01 playoff run that Patrick Waugh had was insane and um, I think everyone really knows the story with Ray Bork and, and how key uh, he was on that team and getting him a cup for that team. Um, and Patrick Waugh knew it along with the other guys. So, um, yeah, I mean, definitely the day that lives in infamy for the Montreal Canadiens because uh, ever since then they have not had a – arguably have not had a goalie that has – had the caliber to win the Stanley cup until Carey price. Um, and even now they haven't really been able to put a team out in front of him. So um, it's kind of one of those Babe Ruth's curse of the Bambino that, uh, that's <laughs> going on. I was just on. thinking that same thing. I yeah. was just thinking that same thing when you brought that up. That's a really good analogy. Yeah. Um, it's a bit of the curse of the Bambino for the Canadian. So, you know, and it, it just seems like, not 25 years ago, does it? I mean, it, it just no. doesn't seem like that long ago, but but it was. And um, you know, I know our Colorado Avalanche fan that are fans that are listening in will uh, will appreciate the fact that we're talking a little Colorado Avalanche hockey from 25 years ago. Um, they and I say the Avalanche are uh, positioned right now to, uh, if not be one of the top teams in the uh, the West. Maybe they might be the best team in the West. And I know you've said that before, but um, it all started 25 years ago, didn't it? Yeah, no, it definitely um, when they moved from uh, Quebec to to Colorado. Um, and now that you look back at it, the fact that Colorado didn't have a, a franchise there is almost insane because, um, I mean, my gosh, you have Denver University, who's a top 10 team for college. You have now the Colorado Eagles, the minor affiliate for Colorado. Uh, the, just the amount of schools and uh, opportunities for hockey in that state. Um, well, and then, you know, is, right down the, the highway, 45 minutes, you get Colorado Springs with Colorado College and the Air Force yeah. Academy and the, uh, the uh, USA Hockey Headquarters, if you will, in uh, Colorado Springs, the training center there, the Olympic training center. Uh, so yeah, yeah there's uh, there, there's just no reason why they shouldn't have had an NHL team, but it finally caught up and they're making the most of it. 
Yeah, definitely. And it looks it looks to be like Vegas is is kind of following that same trait. Like uh granted it's a, it's a big different story like you said the the headquarters for for the US training and the team was is in Colorado Springs, but the fact now that you have Denver and definitely was not going to leave out Colorado College and our our friends over at Air Force too. Um because I mean those are those are those are D one programs, and I mean that's so much history within those two, um, and not only the fact, but then you have ACH ACHA schools now. Um, so it's I think it's really laid the foundation for for the um, for the for the foundation for hockey in Colorado, having the Avalanche there and having that early success, and and guys like Sakic and, and Tonga and Hayduke and Forsberg and Drury and Foot and Blake and Bork. Um, my gosh, the list can go on and on um, of guys that, that are on the, the 96 and, and 01 Stanley Cup. So, um, but yeah, I think when you think of the two best players in Avalanche history, it's, it's a toss up between Sakic and Waugh. Um, and actually Forsberg, arguably Forsberg could be in there too, based on point production and all the time that he spent in the abs uh, uh, uniform. So it's definitely, it, it, it's definitely a lot of history in the crease at Colorado. And that's the one thing that I do not envy of any, any goalie that steps in, into the crease that has had guys like Patrick Waugh and his name on there. And, um, same with like New Jersey, like Martin Brodeur. Those are just those are shoes you have to fill. So it's he definitely left a legacy, and um, I mean you can't forget the the Detroit games and the Mike Vernon and Chris Osgood fights. If you haven't seen those, <laughs> there are any like the younger listeners listening? Go to YouTube, <laughs> please YouTube that. There is no hockey fight like that fight because it was just insane and watch the rivalry the history of it is just phenomenal so yeah it's well, he definitely set the set the foundation okay so in a couple of minutes we're going to bring on that former goalie uh which i'm sure we'll have some insight into that too in just a couple of minutes but uh i wanted to touch just a little bit about uh the theme of patrick waugh uh a goaltenders right i mean you talked about vegas and what they've done uh the, the first one they wanted to get was a goaltender, and they got Marc-Andre Fleury, not a bad option uh, yeah. to, to build your team around. And you look at even the Arizona Coyotes, they realize the importance of goaltending. Um, there, there's been some pretty good ones. Brian Boucher, they went through here, and uh, you think of Mike Smith in his uh, prime was pretty solid here, and now uh, Darcy Kemper and uh, Auntie Ranta and, and guys like that. So there's been a lot of good players that have uh, – have come through the ranks and uh, a lot of them are goaltenders because everybody knows you start building your team from the goal up. Um, so yes. we'll get into that in just a minute. Let's uh, let's take a few minute break, talk to a few of our partners and then we'll come right back and, uh, and bring on our special guest tonight, uh, Tom Callahan in about three minutes. We've all been there. We know what kind of gift to get someone but sometimes it can be too hard to make sure that the gift is the right size or style. So we shrug our shoulders and try to think of something else. Well, if that person is the hockey player in your life, the answer is easy. A gift certificate or a gift card to Behind the Mask Hockey Shops. Whether you go to any of our Three Valley locations or BehindTheMask.com, our gift cards are the perfect solution. 
Sports equipment, especially hockey equipment, has to feel right to the user. And the behind-the-mask gift card allows you to show the player how much you care and lets them pick out what's right for them, whether we're talking about sticks, gloves, skates, or more. Pick one up today at any of our Behind the Mask locations in Gilbert, Peoria, or Scottsdale, or at BehindTheMask.com. I can't wait to get to Las Vegas and check out the fortress. Going to see the Golden Knights? No, stopping at Jesse Ray's Barbecue for lunch. Oh, that fortress. That combination of brisket, hot links, fries, mac and cheese, surrounded by a fence of ribs? I'm in. Exactly. Jesse Ray's Barbecue, located at 5611 South Valley View Boulevard, right behind the Mandalay Bay Hotel. Check out their pulled pork, smoked chicken, or the fall off the bone baby back ribs. Jesse Ray's Barbecue has been voted the best barbecue in Las Vegas two years running. So whether it's a midday meal or a pregame feast, head to Jesse Ray's Barbecue for all their award-winning tastes. At the heart of any good cocktail is the quality of the spirit used. And if you want to make the best margaritas, or if you just want a straight shot of the best-tasting tequila, then Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila is the brand for you. Award-winning Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila has the taste you want to make perfectly blended cocktails, whether you're celebrating an overtime game winner with friends or relaxing by the pool after a long work day. Find your bottle, be it in Arizona or elsewhere in the U.S., Visit us at MexicanMoonshine.com. Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila. Award-winning taste since 2011. I have a car whose lease is up soon, and I'll be looking around for the best deal that I can get. I have certain parameters that I'm looking for in that next vehicle. For example, I want a car that qualifies for a New York State HOV sticker. But being on Long Island won't stop me from taking advice from hockey great Shane Doan, and I'll be checking out Bell Ford and BellFord.com. Bell Ford, the presenting partner of our new season of the Sunday special at IcetimeHockeySW.com, was voted the number one Ford dealer in Arizona. So go, shop where Shane Doan shops, talk to Kevin Wood, let him know that IcetimeHockeySW.com sent you, and let him give you the all-star treatment online or at 2401 West Bell Road in Phoenix. All right, we're back. Professional Hockey Southwest Weekly brought to you by and presented by the Circa Hotel and Circa uh, Resort and Casino. Let me get that right. And the D Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Scott Strandy joining you from Scottsdale, Arizona. My co-host, Zach Bondurant from Chandler, Arizona. And Zach, it's our pleasure to uh, to bring on the the voices of many hockey teams and the hockey goaltender aficionado. Let me come and call him that. How about the editor-in-chief of VegasHockeyNow.com, Tom Callahan, is with us. Tom, how are you tonight? I'm doing well, Scott. Thanks for having me. I uh, I, I like the aficionado term. I dig it. I dig it. <laughs> well, well, Tom, uh, Zach just brought up uh, and put a graphic up on our website on Sunday about 25 years since the, uh, the trade in Colorado, from Montreal to Colorado to get Patrick Waugh. And I told Zach, I said, when we get Tom on, we're going to have to ask him about some goaltending stuff because you being the old goaltender, and I know you watch a lot of hockey, and I know that you want to get out there and put the pads on again if you could. 
Oh, yeah. To steal a joke. I mean, old goalies never die. They just smell that way. I mean, it, yeah. uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's in the blood. And, and you know what? I grew up playing the game as a goalie, and, and I have a unique perspective on it because of that. Um, and I'm thankful for that. I just saw the ice differently than everyone else. And so I think it's fascinating, much like a catcher in baseball. To, uh, that's the only guy who's looking out at the play. Uh, you know, out at his eight teammates, and it's the same thing with goaltenders. We're looking out at all ten skaters uh, all the time, and it's just a really interesting way to view the game. So it, it's given me unique perspective, and I always love to hear um, what other goalies think about things, how they view the game as well, and, and their viewpoints on on just all kinds of issues. Yeah, and Absolutely. that was go ahead, Jack. Yeah, and I mean, I had always, I mean, growing up, and if you had heard, like, uh, the opening to it is I'd, growing up watching Patrick Waugh, that was the person I always wanted to emulate. And uh, mom and dad were like, well, no, why don't you try skating out more? So they, as far as going to the goalie smelling joke, I think they were worried about the cost of goalie equipment and that smell, too. Man, my, it's funny. My dad had to talk my mom into it. Um, just by convincing her that I wore the most padding. Now, mind you, this was in the early 80s, so there still wasn't a lot of padding. But uh, my mom didn't want me to play goalie either. My dad was cool with it. And, uh, you know, he's the reason why, you know, after the resting his case and defending me to my mom, I got to be a goaltender then, um, you know, for the rest of my my playing days. And I, I love it. I love it. I enjoy it. And, and again, I mean, we talk about, you know, it's a unique perspective and it really kind of, I don't know. It, it teaches you different things about the game. It gives you a different perspective because you always see how the play develops and you can see where mistakes behind coming out of your zone or coming at you lead to different things and breakdowns and, and, you know, losing guys because you, you see all that stuff. And so it really, I, I think goalies make great analysts because of that. I think um, we could probably have more goaltenders as coaches. Again, back to the catcher example, catchers, I think, make great managers too in baseball. So, you know, and we're all a little bit nuts. So it, it all works out. <laughs> <laughs> all okay, goalies so, are a little quirky. So Tom, <laughs> yes, that's polite. Uh, so, so, Tom, I want to... I want to kind of break it down this way when we have you on, okay? We we added a couple of uh, new teams uh, to our coverage area. We added the uh, Colorado Avalanche and the Eagles. Um, we have, of course, Vegas and now Henderson, and we have Phoenix and Tucson. So uh, with no hockey being played since, what, October? Um, maybe it's time we just get a little breakdown. We've, we've talked and we've heard rumors about things maybe starting back up again. So, so let's start right there. What do you know? What have you heard? What kind of rumors are circulating? What's in the back of your head? When do you think this is all get underway? Well, Scott, I had my breakdown months ago. I mean, it's a, oh, oh, <laughs> hockey, hockey. Um, <clears throat> oh my goodness. Really? October is the last time we had hockey. Uh, you know, it's so funny and I'm sure like everybody else, we're all in this weird, time warp wormhole thing where it's almost like time has no meaning it's always groundhog day and so we find ourselves here it's it's december 7th uh as as we're doing this show and i'm thinking to myself it's weird but i still feel like we are in a legitimate off season for hockey i know they're trying to figure it out and they're trying to play some games 
Um, there have been some interesting – let's start with the NHL. Some interesting things coming out of there today uh, and over the weekend that right now the NHL and the Players Association are trying to put it together, not talking about money. Um, that that bridge, they'll, they'll jump off it when they come to it. But for now, they're just trying to say, okay, what would a return to play look like? I think that's a tremendous step. Um, I think it's a big positive for – the NHL and the NHLPA to actually be ironing out logistics. So whether they go into mini bubbles or not, who knows, um, you know, two weeks on a week off, there's just a, a bunch of different ways they could do it. I think we're going to end up with four divisions, one of which will be the all Canadian division. And then you're going to have basically sliced up by area of the country. Uh, and I know some people are trying to do this weird horizontal map where it goes like north, central, <laughs> and south. That. But no, that's not going to happen. And I mean, two words, time zones. You like, are not going to have eastern teams swinging out west, western teams swinging back. It's just not really feasible. It's going to be a north-south divide uh, as far as the grid lines go. And so we'll probably have an eastern, a central, and a western that's just kind of how it's going to go. Um, and, and you know what? That's okay. I mean, again, we're in unusual times. And I'll take whatever NHL season we get, and then we go into the playoff format. Great. So the other thing is, too, they want to get back on, on pace for next season. So um, that's that's where I think the NHL stands. It's interesting. Speaking of, of VegasHockeyNow.com, there's an article right now, if you head on over there, um, where it's um, – it's interesting because we do this weekly series across all the National Hockey Now sites called Off the Record. And the Boston writer talked to some sources, and it's kind of appearing that perhaps it's Jeremy Jacobs and a small coalition of owners who are butting heads with Gary Bettman over this. And I had an interesting discussion on Twitter with some people about this. Someone said, well, you know, isn't the commissioner basically the puppet of the owners? Like, not really. First of all, this is not the NFL. Second of all, um, Gary <laughs> Bettman, and I've, I've met the guy, I've interviewed him, I've talked to him on and off the record. He really leads very strongly. He believes in where he's going. He, he believes in where the league is going. And he is always trying to act in the best interest of the league. Do the owners always want to follow what he's saying? No. Does he always have consensus among the now 32 NHL owners? No, that's really, really hard. You're trying to convince 32 guys or girls who ran their own businesses in real life so successfully that they were able to purchase a sports franchise that you know how to run the business better than they do. But sports is not a regular business. And so that's why you have a commissioner. And Batman is a strong commissioner. And I really do believe that he probably is butting heads with some of the owners over the direction he wants to take things. But I'll hearken all the way back to 2004, 2005 as a most prominent example. Some of the owners balked at losing that season. They panicked. They wanted out. They wanted to play. They wanted to compromise. Bettman said, no, we're going to, this is the hill we die on. And look what happened. He shut down the league for the whole year, but on the other side of it, they got their cost certainty. They ended up with a salary cap, which is something the players said they'd never accept. But that's why you have to have faith in a guy like Batman to lead the league where you think it is, is going to most prosper and, and grow 
uh, as best as it can. And I think he's uh, love him or hate him. I think Gary Bettman has a great track record of taking care of the NHL. And so do you think, with that being said, with Bettman having a good track record, do you think, I know it's been a talk for a while about putting advertisements on the jerseys in order to try and, and get more revenue. Um, do you think now is when they take that step and take the jump off the traditional train and try and do the uh, some sponsorship logos on the jerseys? Yes, because the NBA has already done it. Um, I think that they've already broken that uh, that that glass barrier, if you will. And so, you know, the NBA and the NHL a lot of times kind of move lockstep. One falls in behind the other. Usually it's the NBA leading, but not always. Remember, Bettman came from the NBA. Um, and I really believe that that was the breakthrough. Look, this is this is the world we live in now. You know, um, and right now tickets aren't there. And if they will be there, perhaps they'll be in very, very small numbers. Um, there was a report today, and we can always talk about this later, about four teams trying to play outdoor games this year mm -hmm. if they could have yeah. fans. So I really think we're looking at it from a situation of if you could put a name on a jersey, whether it's an Amazon or a Kmart or a Target or Ford or Chevy, um, why wouldn't you do it? You know, it makes sense to be able to have that partnership. Uh, and, you know, look, fans are still going to wear the jerseys. Uh, look at look at soccer or football, if you prefer. Nothing stops their fans from wearing their team's kit. Uh, you're a fan of the team, you're a fan of the team. And people wear those NBA jerseys. I see Laker jerseys all the time with a sponsorship on them now. So it's not going to affect a thing. People are going to bellyache about it. But look, at the end of the day, you're going to do what everybody else does, and that's accept it and end up wearing the jersey. I'm glad you brought that up about the uh, the outdoor games, Tom, because that's something I did want to talk about. It's like, um, is that really realistic? I mean, you can put an outdoor game on once, twice, um, different parts of the country, but uh, day in and day out, is that really a realistic uh, opportunity in your mind? Oh, I think we lost Tom. Um Zach, <laughs> is that is that um, a realistic thing in your mind until we get Tom back? Yeah, uh, dang. I mean, I don't know. I know the two teams that have said it that have been on that bandwagon are the two SoCal teams, like the Ducks and the Kings. Um, I mean, if they're going to do it, they're not going to be playing in California. I tell you that much. Like, it's just not realistic i mean especially if you're heading into december will be cold you'll have cold weather in southern california um and anybody who's questioning my expertise on this i lived in california for 20 <laughs> 22 23 years so i i'm not an expert on many things but i'm an expert on california weather um so in december january and maybe even february i think in february um the kings played the avalanche at dodger stadium um, right. so, and they were able to make that work. Um, but after that, you're still going to be getting into some really odd, um, odd weather. I mean, not only the weather, but to the fact of there are still fires going on in California. What's that due to the <laughs> yeah. air quality? 
So, yeah. and granted, I don't know. I, I don't know where the fires are in lo- in location to where they may play those games. But um, even then, not only that, but your third logistical issue would be where will you play them? Because baseball season's coming around the uh, coming around the bend, um, I believe. Yeah. So yeah, that's. I mean, and and here's the thing: I I wasn't really thinking you know, warm weather climates. I think we had Tom. We lost Tom. Hopefully, we get Tom back. Um, I think he's coming. Uh, hold on one second, and we'll keep our eyes up. There we go, Tom. We got you back. Yes, I, okay. uh, I, my, my phone's getting lazy. <laughs> this, is, this is how they get you to upgrade, Scott. They, they just, stuff just crashes out on you. Yeah, it works for yeah. me, Tom. <laughs> oh, okay, so, so before you left us, I was, uh, I was asking you about the feasibility of playing outdoor games, and, and Zach brought up uh, the California teams, if they were to even attempt to do that. Um, I wasn't really thinking so much the warm. I was thinking about the cold, the snow, the wind, the different things that happen out east. You're a Buffalo guy. You know what that's like. Is is it feasible in your mind? I think so. And believe it or not, I even think California is feasible because uh, I believe they could protect the ice up to probably a certain temperature. Uh, now, look, we're going to have to play these games uh, especially if you're playing them in, in California, um, and, and they'd be playing them at the home of the LA Galaxy, you're going to have to play them early. Uh, you're going to have to play them in that February-March window before it really starts to warm up, but it'll let you get some fans in the stands. And, of course, the hope is that by the time we get into March, maybe April, there's vaccines that are more widespread, life looks a little bit different, and even if it doesn't affect this year, maybe for next year going forward. The other two cities, Scott, out east are Pittsburgh and Boston. They have both explored the possibility of playing outdoor games just to get some fans in there. I know that the pirate or the well, the Penguins have looked at both the home of the Pirates and the Steelers, Heinz Field and PNC Park. Uh, of course, Boston uh, can talk to Fenway because they've had a Winter Classic there, so that would not surprise me if they were able to pull something off. But it's really going to come down to not only the venues but the individual states. Uh, we saw today. Uh, the ECHL, three more teams announcing they're probably not playing, uh, you know, and it, it's tough. I mean, Cincinnati, it's funny. I had a discussion with some of their management probably a month ago now. We just happened to be talking about, um, you know, what was going on. And, and they said at the time, and here we are coming to fruition, they can't make it without butts and seats. Now, that's especially true at the minor league level. But again, to talk about one of the teams that you and I cover, Vegas, Bill Foley, even question that. And he had a great interview with Brian Blessing on Vegas Hockey Hotline, and he's very candid. I love listening to him because he, he answers questions. Yes, and he does. He, he, he does. He is not afraid. He, he will talk about it. And he says, I don't know how viable this is going to be if, and I'm paraphrasing, how viable it's going to be if there's no butts and seats. So even, even for him, I mean, it's not like these guys have unlimited wealth. And even the ones who seem to have unlimited wealth, there's a limit. To what they're willing to spend to keep stuff afloat. So if you can get fans in the stands, get some concessions, get some parking, sell a few hats, jersey stickers, t-shirts, whatever, that's going to help you. Even to whatever extent, if it helps cover your cost of staffing for the game, it still helps you. Yeah, totally agree. Um, the other thing that we, we all cover here is the, the AHL and they came out real early, Tom, and I know you're familiar with uh, the happenings in the AHL. 
but they came out real early and said, hey, February 5th is when we're going to start. Um, and they haven't really wavered off of that, or at least not publicly, that, uh, that's been out there. So is that still realistic, or is that tied to the NHL? I think, look, if the NHL doesn't play and it's because of a labor dispute, the AHL will probably play. If the NHL doesn't play because of any other reason, then the AHL probably won't play. Um, Because it's a different, for those who don't know, it's a different players' union uh, in the minor leagues versus the NHL. The NHLPA is only for the NHL. Other than that, it's the PHPA, uh, which governs all the other minor leagues in North America as far as contracts and labor disputes and, and all that goes. So that's an important distinction. Uh, I have heard uh, in conversations I had today with some folks here in the Tucson area um, that the Roadrunners are looking at now uh, a February 11th date as a potential startup date. Now, that doesn't mean the rest of the league won't start on or around the 5th, but it means the Roadrunners probably won't start till almost a week after that. Scott, again, when it comes to geographically dividing and conquering, I believe the, the American Hockey League, which had always been a bus league for ever since I can remember until probably 10, 15 years ago, um, I could easily see them taking the West, just you know, letting them break off into their own little uh, you know, league almost, if you will, play their way through and then break off others into divisions. And then once you get to the playoffs, then that's when you'll reintroduce travel. Uh, I think that's how they'll probably end up doing it. And do you think that? Do you well? So what? So with ECHL, do you think that them calling out those, uh, calling off those seasons, and one that no, notably that I had noticed was Cincinnati because um, we had Tyler Bush on a little while ago and he had signed a contract there. Um, you think that's solely just based off of revenue from getting people in the arena, or does that kind of go off of just they're they don't want to have they don't want to be the first ones to to have people there. They don't want to play it, so they don't want to have people there and and cause a big outbreak. Do you think it's mostly revenue driven, or or I guess you could say that's politically driven. I don't know if that's necessarily the the avenue. I think but safety driven. I, I think it's a hundred percent revenue driven and not to say that they don't care about safety uh that's please don't interpret it that way but if they could play they would but even especially at the double a level where the echl is but even in the american league no fans is a death knell you really depend on your season ticket money it's so important to have that season ticket money to have that gate to have everything that goes with it, whatever you get a share of in your lease, whether it is parking or concessions or, you know, beer and liquor sales or, or whatever it may be. Signage. Uh, corporate, <laughs> cor- yeah, corporate advertising dollars are so important that these teams don't run on big margins and big budgets. Uh, some of them can make money, but they don't always. Uh, some of them lose money. And it's it's razor thin, the difference. So to not be able to have fans uh, is 
reason enough to call off any attempt at, at trying to play the season. And the ECHL, to their credit, has been good with teams. Uh, the seven teams in the Northern Division just said we're not playing. It makes no sense to, to try to have them play and travel, especially when we don't know what's going on with a lot of the situations with the border and all that. Um, it's going to be tough. I mean, I don't want to say they're dropping like flies, but so it was Cincinnati, Idaho, and Kalamazoo, by the way, I wanted to mention that said they're not going to play. Uh, so the league keeps shrinking. I will be very surprised if we don't see another couple teams fold the tent here on the season. The problem is, and what I'm afraid of, is a team at that level or the American League level trying to start to play and going bankrupt and just running out of money and not being able to not only finish the season but come back. And so that's that's a danger um, that we're going to see financially for these teams. So then I guess a follow-up to that would be, so so with you saying it, it, they run on very thin margins, and I think we had alluded to it when we started the podcast of, um, or even maybe you had said it, where the, the people who own the teams – um, you know, they're, they, they're willing to put money into it, but they're not willing to lose. They're, they know their cutoff point. So in that circumstance, you know, a lot of people who are at like, who are sports fans say, Oh, I would love to own a sports franchise, but it seems to be a lot of it is, is a loss of money because your fans could go South or, you know, as you said, they have razor, razor thin margins. So what would cause, in your mind, do you think, would somebody to purchase a franchise when it could be so volatile on whether you make a profit or, or go bust? Well, here's the the number one reason that's going to sound cynical, I think, to everybody. But uh, as a tax shelter, uh, you know, you – and I, I mean, I, w- I went through that in Elmira in the beginning of my career. It was very interesting the way the owner – also had control of the arena and the management company and set up the team to incur all the losses while the management company incurred all of the profit. So it was really interesting. Um, they do, they, they kind of, you know, that's where you can stash things and, and look, those are tax loopholes that I don't understand, but people smarter than me who make a lot more than me are paid to understand. Uh, so sometimes that's what you see. There's also, um, I, I mean, I've even seen a situation where when I was in Augusta, um, a, a group of, I think it was eight season ticket holders got together and ran the team for a season because the owner wanted out. The team was up for sale. No one was running the team. And these season ticket holders, who were fairly well off, obviously, but they banded together and ran the team for a year. So sometimes the meat, it's altruistic. Sometimes you're getting a nice deal from the city. Sometimes... Um, you know, you have other interests at play, such as maybe you do run the management company and it helps to have the hockey team as your tenant. There's always a bunch of different things at the minor league level. Some people just love it. Um, you know, when I was in Peoria, uh, that was the ownership group then under, under Bruce Sowers and, um, you know, God bless him. He kept that team going longer than he really should have, but, it was a labor of love for him, and, and he loved Peoria. That was his home, and he invested in it and kept it going for years. So it's all kinds of different reasons. But again, uh, there's very, very few minor league franchises that basically print money, if you will. And even the ones that do, uh, don't do it forever. You, you have a short run. You have a sweet run. And 
it'll end eventually. So you have to sell high. Yeah, and I mean that was a much better. Sorry, Scott, that was a much better answer than what I would have said. I've said because it's cool. <laughs> that would have been. <laughs> Some okay. people probably do it for that reason, and then they all of a sudden discover that it's not so cool. Uh, so, so Tom, one of those uh, teams that I think, if if there's going to be a, a very successful AHL franchise and one that breaks that mold we're just talking about, I believe it's going to be the Henderson Silver Knights and. The reason I say that, and, and you're tiled, dialed into Vegas now too, but uh, having a chance to, to talk to Bill Foley a couple of different times and get you know picking his brain, um, he knows, right? He knew that he had uh, an overflow of season ticket holders for the Golden Knights. He knew what he had in a fan base in Henderson. Um, he, he really believes that, that he's going to pack that AHL facility when things get back to quote-unquote normal. Um, and he might very well do it. Yeah. Uh, and you know, Scott, I mean, so I want to kind of start with the end of that point, but what is normal going to look like? Um, you know, and that's, that's the question. Are we all going to start on time next year? We hope so. Uh, are we going to play a full season? We hope so. And so, you know, kind of when you, you get that going, Best case scenario, if you're an NHL team, is that you have your prospects in, in this case, Henderson, um, and you have a good lineup that is just down the street, which is nice. And and we see a lot more teams doing this in the West, and that was the whole point, I think, of the Western Division. Like at San Jose's in their own building, they might not be for too much longer, but they'll be close. Um, it's a short drive. Same thing here, Tucson to Phoenix is a short roll. Um, and, and obviously Vegas is going to be just across town. So you get every, all your ducks in a row. You're able to double up on your development time. You're able to reduce the costs of travel and hotels and per diem and, and, you know, players moving up and down. It's less wear and tear on the players. Um, and it really does allow the system that is put in at the top to really spread through the ranks. And I think... I, I mean, I, I love what Vegas is doing. The facilities they're building are top-notch. Um, the way they're trying to run this this franchise from a hockey op standpoint, winning is the most important thing to them, developing that talent to be able to win, to be able to contend every year. They're, they're doing all the right things. And you know what, Scott, at the end of the day, and, and I'm sorry I've kind of strayed away from the initial point here, but at the end of the day, I mean, I look at Henderson um, – and they'll come in and, and they really have a chance to be a model franchise right off the bat because they have all these advantages. Yeah, my quick follow-up to that, uh, Zach, if I can jump on your question here for a minute. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, go for uh, it. Um, when I was up there and, and took a tour, uh, Tom, about a month ago of the new lifeguard arena, the practice facility, and saw the planning and the detail they went into and and. and You've been in a lot of HL arenas. You, the, your most recent one was right there in Tucson, and you know um, what the Roadrunners went through and what they go through on a daily basis as far as getting ice. It's probably not so bad once the ice is in, but the start of the season. And, and you go up and you take the tour of, of Lifeguard Arena, and you see uh, Kerry Bubbles happened to be my tour guide. And as we went through it, he's going like, notice everything here is glass. He said, we believe in... Uh, accountability through visibility, and uh, that came from the training room to the to the workout room to the coach's office. And there was glass windows everywhere, and he said there is no place to hide in this side. 
Um, so when you talk about a first class, you're also talking about uh, building a culture. And how important, Tom, is that at the AHL, AHL level to to build that culture right there? You know what? It's you can't discount it because starting things off at that level, um, the players come in and look. Not everybody's going to jump straight from junior to the NHL. It just doesn't always work that way. I am actually a big proponent myself. If you were to say, Tom, what's your development model? I think you should go through the American Hockey League. There are certain things that you learn riding the bus and being in that kind of situation with your teammates as opposed to on the chartered jet with the catered meals and the four-star hotels all the time. It's just different, um, and it's it's hard to explain all the, uh, all the different ways that it makes a difference on a young player, but there's a feeling of having to work harder. There's a feeling of having to be more involved uh, with what's going on. And, and you know what? Not every facility is the best. Not every facility, uh, you know, all the, these NHL palaces make guys, you know, probably feel a little spoiled sometimes. And that is not the case. I can tell you with every AHL arena, some of them um, are, are okay uh, at best. And, you know, it, it, there's a certain, you know, humility to having to earn your spot that I think is missing for some guys who make that jump directly. But the minors, you just learn that not everything is set up on a, a tee for you and you could just swing away at it. And I think that that's really one of the most important things to me when it comes to looking at this, um, this development model is, you know, the, the American League is just so important for these guys. Plus, here's the other thing. In the American League, you can make mistakes. In the American League, you can play on a top power play unit. You can play on a top penalty kill or a top line, or you can be a starting goaltender without the pressure of being in the National Hockey League to churn out wins. You bring that young kid along at 19, 20 years old, put him on the third line in the NHL or the fourth line in the NHL, but he's supposed to be a scorer. You're doing him a disservice. He needs to be somewhere, whether it's playing in junior or playing – uh, minor pro, where he's in the role you want him to develop into. And I think that that's what people don't understand. I would never want to call a guy up who's a power play specialist and stick him on the second penalty killing unit in the fourth line. That's a mismatch. You call up the guy who's the grinder and you stick him in that role because that's where he's supposed to be. Uh, so those are the advantages uh, to to having that culture right from the top down is, is much easier to, you know, keep it all in house. And plus, look, it's easy for those guys to drive across town on their night off and go watch what it takes to play in the NHL and look at those, you know, Vegas jerseys and say, man, that I, that's what I want. I want to work hard. I want to be a part of that. I want my name up on that scoreboard. And so to have that as a tangible thing, 20 minutes away, uh, also is a is a big deal uh, because you can touch your dream at that point and it's real. So obviously you have had uh, a lot of experience within the the minor leagues. Um, how important do you think it is um, now that we're seeing the realignment and uh, Toronto Marlies have always seemed to have had their their minor league team right down the road. Uh, the Colorado Avalanche are now doing the same thing. They've brought them into to Colorado. The Ducks, their team now is in San Diego. The Ontario 
the Ontario Reign for the Kings. So how important do you think it is from a management aspect for for those uh, for those guys to be able to go and and view their their players and their prospects and be able to say, hey, you know what? We need we should give this kid a try instead of putting him on a plane and doing a far more investment in that, sending him just down the highway. How important do you think that is for them? Well, I think that having the prospects close at hand is not only for the scouting purposes, and that's the other thing too. Don't forget, it's not just your own players; it's other players that come in that you can watch. Uh, yeah. That's a big deal, and I think that that's you know something that your scouts can, in the course of a homestand for in you know the Marlies or whoever, come down taking a game. Um, I remember when. You know, with the Roadrunners, I'd be here and Steve Sullivan and John Chaka would come to the building when they were still part of the club. And they would be over there watching not only our prospects, but they're also looking at the other guys. You know, I mean, you want to see what's out there. You want to be versed on the on the talent level, um, see what the state of the game is. So I think it's tremendous. And again, I, I talk about the development coaches because those guys, the skills coach, the skating coach, um, you know, if, if you're the goaltenders, you're working not only – a lot of teams now have minor league goalie coaches that travel, but if you can get the guy from the big club to come over and work with those goaltenders, uh, let's say they're on the road and the goalie coach doesn't travel with the team and now he can spend a week working with the American League guys. All of those are huge advantages. Plus, you know what? In the day-to-day life of a player or any human being, you don't want to keep having to move and bounce up and down and, and you know, have to have to move and you you can settle now. You know, the, uh, let's say you come to Vegas and you're part of the franchise here and you're ticketed at least for Henderson, you can get a place and you don't have to move and you don't have to let your buddy, um, you know, take your bedroom when you get called up or sent down or, or whatever, you know, that's it just takes a lot of the headaches out of it too. And I think that's, you know, another thing that we don't really realize, but these guys are human and some of them have families and it is tough to just continuously be, you know, moving around and, and, you know, you want to put the kids in school for the year and you want them to stay in school in one school district for the year. Well, great. Now you can do that. Okay, so so let me ask you this. This is my final one for you, Tom, and then I'll let Zach wrap things up for you. But um, we talk a lot about the teams and, and the money-making side of it and the management and the coaches, but how difficult do you think this pandemic nine months has been on the players? I mean, uh, we had Brinson Pashnik on a couple of Sundays ago, and we were talking to him about it. He said, you know, this is the first time since I can remember that I've had this much time off and trying to practice uh, on his own and train on his own three days a week, skating with other NHLers that had migrated to Arizona for the for the time being. But how difficult do you think this whole thing is on them, both physically and mentally? I mean, you can do it for a little while, but the longer this goes on, how is that going to play with them in your mind? I think that uh, the guys who are going to do better are the guys who have kind of grouped up to train, uh, which is – not necessarily the best thing in a COVID world, but they kind of keep their sanity by having other players around them living the same lifestyle, uh, maybe working out the same way or training the same way, skating the same time every day. You know, different states have different protocols, but in most places you can get at least a small group on the ice. Working by yourself is tough. 
Um, that's not something I would I would see. That that wouldn't be without its issues for for guys. You know, mentally, not only physically but mentally. Um, you know, you just we're most humans are pretty social. You know, we like to be around the company of others. I think there's something about a locker room that is comforting to these guys because it represents routine uh, and normalcy, but a chance to, you know, rip on your buddies a little bit and talk about whatever game was on last night or, you know, see who's, you know, you know, whatever, whatever music or, or, you know, pop culture phenomenon, movies and TV. And they like to share that and they look forward to it. And that's not there right now. So, when you go most of your life with that and it's suddenly not there, it is jarring. So I think that's why everybody craves to get back to normal. The fatigue is there. Everybody is over this. Um, that doesn't mean that we can let up, but we just have to suck it up for a little bit longer. And, and it, it stinks. It really does. Um, but hopefully we have some, you know, some good news very soon. So what's uh what's the one thing that you are looking forward to most with the return of hockey? A lot of what um, what we do is uh, far as the ice time hockey is having stuff to talk about. Mine is is being able to be back at the rink and shoot photos. Scott is I'm sure also be back at the rink and and see the players play. So what is that one thing that you are so excited about? You cannot wait to. Uh, to have kind of the normalcy of hockey come back. Oh, wow, that's a good one. Um, because there's just <laughs> he got you on that one, didn't he? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I here's what I miss about hockey the most, and so I could talk to for me, and it's the routine of game day, non game day. Um, you know, I used to joke with people that during the season, there's only three days, three days of the week. It's game day, non-game day, travel day. I just need to know which day of the week it is, and then I'll be just fine. <laughs> so, uh, you know, oh, what, what day is today? Travel day. Oh, okay, all right, good. I got my bag. I'm good. Um, and, and that's, but there's a routine to that, and there's comfort in having your routines. And I think that that's something that everybody craves is to get back to that familiar routine uh, of coming to the rink, having the morning skate, coming in, and then whether well, it's doing your stretching or your yoga, and then you get your pregame nap, and then you come back to the rink and you get ready to play. That's everybody wants that back, and that's what we would want back too. You know, uh, from the from the like staff side, I guess, and and from all of that is just you don't have that. You know, the this is what I do to get ready. And I think that once that returns and same thing for fans, look, there are fans and, and Scott, you know, this, well, people go to the same place to eat. They <laughs> yes, gather they with do. the same people. They have their routine, their game day routine. It's like they, they must dress with this Jersey, um, you know, and, and they have this routine that they go through before they leave the house while they're driving. They have to take the same route. They have to park in the same parking garage, all that stuff. And so that's, we all, we all want that back. And I think that that is what sports allows us is the ability to step outside of where we normally are in our day-to-day -day life and be something that, at least in our minds, is whole and good and pure, and that is athletic competition. Well, so that Tom, answer, you could... if I could jump in just a quick jab, yeah. that answer is very much a goalie answer. 
with the I want <laughs> the routine back. <laughs> yep. I, uh, I, you know, it's, it, it is, man. It's just, hey, you know, I, you, you, you like what you like. And, and yeah. not that, not that I won't try anything new, but, you know, heaven forbid somebody messes with me while I'm in my crease. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you led me right into something, and, and I do it with a smile because uh, our buddy Tim Gasson passed away a little more than a year ago. And if there was anybody that was in a routine more than a goalie, it would be Tim Gasson. <laughs> Tom, I, I have to do this with a chuckle because otherwise uh, it, it may take me a little emotionally, but. Uh, Tim was always ready, and he had a thing, didn't he? I mean, I, I talk to his interns uh, every now and then, and they'll tell me the same thing, that Tim wanted you here at a certain time, at a certain place, all the time. And uh, I'm sure you think about him a lot. It's It's been a, a tough year. I don't know how Tim would have handled COVID, uh, but, man, I miss the guy. Yeah, I, I agree. As a matter of fact, I just talked to Sarah Gasson today again. Um, you know, we, we still stay in touch, and – I, I missed him. Um, you know, Tim loved the sport, uh, loved uh, just being a part of things and being around things. He loved working with the the students at the University of Arizona, um, loved calling the games and, and just, you know, there was there was just something about it that, you know, he he couldn't imagine his life without hockey, even though he was in Tucson, Arizona, kind of as he would put it, you know, how do you get stuck in Tucson, Arizona? You just come here one day and you never leave. But that was kind of his story. And, and he, you know, was around this U of A program for decades uh, and loved it, loved it like his own sons, you know, it just, it, this was his baby. And, and um, I'm still trying to help them fill those massive shoes uh, and working with the program down here. And, you know, I think about the impact Tim had just on me. Um, and he treated this, which is ACHA hockey, like it was the NHL to him. And for me, someone who's been around the minors and in the National Hockey League, um, it was a reminder that, you know, not everybody gets the chance to to be in that rarefied air. Same thing for players and staff and coaches. Um, some guys will toil their whole life in the minor leagues, but that doesn't mean that it's any less special to them. And I think that that's what um, Tim brought every time. And, and he, he was an intense dude. He was an intense dude when it came to that stuff. But, man, he did it because he loved it and he wanted to represent the team and the game in the best possible light because he wanted people to love it as much as he did. And I don't even know that that's possible. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I want to play something special for you and for everybody that listened out there and for all the uh, Arizona Wildcat uh, fans out there. I told Coach Berman that I will save this clip forever, but here it is. Town hockey team, your Western Collegiate Hockey League champion, your Arizona Wildcats. Tickets for Arizona hockey are now on sale. Support your Wildcats as they battle ASU for another Cactus Cup championship and more at the Tucson Arena. Your hockey team, your Arizona Wildcats. Call 791-4101 for tickets now. Okay, uh, <laughs> Tom, that's some big skates, big shoes to fill for uh, 
for you to, to make a call like that, but that one will live on with me forever. It's never going anywhere. I'm going to keep it all the time. And there's there's no reason not to. And you know what, Scott? I mean, to to you, to me, to anyone who knew Tim, who knew him around the program especially, and, uh, of course, his, his endeavors with the WHA Hall of Fame, you'll – you'll never find a guy I don't think who was as passionate. And I like to think I'm a big hockey fan, but you know, Tim, Tim took the cake on that one and, and um, we miss him. Well, we're going to miss him to the end of days. Absolutely. Well, Tom, I, I didn't want to end it like that, but uh, I kind of did because uh, uh, Tim was such a big uh, supporter of hockey in the, in the Southwest. And when you talk about growing the game, like we try to do here at ice time hockey Southwest, uh, you can't do it without bringing up the name Tim Gasson, and and that goes from from Coach Powers to everybody in the ACHA to, to you name it. it, it's everywhere. So, thanks for uh, coming on and, and giving us your insight. Uh, I know that you've seen almost everything that could be seen, and now you can say you've seen it in a pandemic as well. Oh, I wish I could <laughs> not say that, but yes, you're right. So, but seriously, in all, in all seriousness, thank you for having me on, guys. Thank you for uh, taking time to honor Tim uh, and and remember him. And uh, you know what? I hope that the next time we chat, we have some concrete news. We're talking about a restart date, and we're talking about getting back to some semblance of of watching hockey games again. You know, I wouldn't let you go without plugging uh, VegasHockeyNow.com. So uh, give us a Give a shout-out where people can find you, read your stuff, see your stuff. Sure, thank you. Uh, VegasHockeyNow.com is the website. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Callahan on Air. Also, in my Twitter bio, I have a link to our Discord. And Talking Puck is my Sunday night hockey show, which is on hiatus now because it's weird, but it's the offseason, that I do with former Avalanche voice Mike Haynes. But we have a Discord that goes with that. And, and Scott, I'd love to have you on there as well. It's, it's mes- message boards where a lot of fans can come and share opinions and talk and post articles and links and funny pictures and stuff like that. It's just a, it's a, it's a fun little neighborhood, if you will, to talk hockey online. So, again, that link's in my Twitter bio. And the other thing I do, I do a podcast three times a week. I keep them short. I call them tiny biscuits. I try to keep them five to seven minutes, do one topic uh, so that it's short, it's digestible, it's easy to listen to. And if anybody's interested in those, um, just look for the Talking Puck podcast wherever you may get your podcasts from. Very well said, my friend. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I don't know what else to say. I mean, the, the hockey aficionado. That's it. Uh, You know what? Uh, I have a history teacher who used to say, keep your powder dry. So let's go with that. (laughs) Fantastic. Tom Callahan, thanks for joining us. And uh, Zach, I'll be right back in in just a minute to, uh, to wrap up another professional hockey Southwest weekly. good cocktail is the quality of the spirit used and if you want to make the best margaritas or if you just want a straight shot of the best tasting tequila then roger klein's cancion tequila is the brand for you award-winning roger klein's cancion tequila has the taste you want to make perfectly blended cocktails whether you're celebrating an overtime game winner with friends or relaxing by the pool after a long work day find your bottle be it in arizona or elsewhere in the u.s Visit us at MexicanMoonshine.com. 
Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila, award-winning taste since 2011. All right, we're back. Uh, ran a little long, but I kind of anticipated that, Zach, with uh, with Tom. He's got a lot of great stories. And, uh, you know, when I when I was telling you to put the, the graphic up, uh, I just gave you two of the voices he was of. But as you heard, Augusta, uh, <laughs> Peoria, uh, he's been everywhere and seen everything. And uh, what a hockey historian he is as well. Yeah, no, definitely. But I feel like if we were to uh... – to put his whole resume on there, we would have ran out of room and had to have done a slideshow. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, those are just two of the the ones that I, um, probably stuck out the most, especially uh, <laughs> a full-blown NHL franchise and then um, the one that's right down the freeway from us in Tucson. So, yeah, he's definitely got a, a much longer list of, uh, of teams that he's worked with. And, um, yeah, he's definitely got a lot of a lot of working knowledge of the game. He's definitely a, a great person to, to pick his brain about stuff on hockey. Yeah, he's been and he's been in and out on both sides. I mean, being the radio voice, but also being uh, you know the PR guy and working with the teams. And you know, he get, knows the inside of the management. I mean, he can tell you stuff that you just don't find anywhere else. So it, it's great to have Tom on. I'm glad he could do it. Uh, I wanted to to get him on around this time because uh, we did lose Tim Gasson just a little over a year ago. And, um, you know, Tim meant an awful lot to Tucson and hockey, amateur hockey, uh, the, the uh, World Hockey League uh, Hall of Fame. So um, lots, of, lots of things to talk about. But, okay, we'll be back next week with more professional hockey talk. Let's hope that we have uh, some – more firm dates on a start time, like maybe when the training camp's going to start and when games are going to start. In the meantime, just keep tuning in. Uh, we own the prime time slot, 7.30 p.m. Sunday through Wednesday. What did I tell you? It was going to be called the Quad Pod of Hockey Podcasts. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah, that'll be – yeah, we, we're the Quad we've Pod. <laughs> we're always busy. So, yeah, you're always cooking up something over there. <laughs> and behind the scenes on that, if you pull back the curtain, our uh, our good friend uh, uh, out on Long Island, he uh, wants no part of having to say the pod, the quad pod of hockey podcasts. <laughs> that that right. surprised me. <laughs> <laughs> Take it away, my friend, and we'll say goodnight with little Roger Kleins uh, and the Peacemakers De Niro. All right, Professional Hockey Southwest Week is brought to you by Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila, ultra smooth, Arizona owned. Go to MexicanMoonshine.com and try our original cocktail recipes. Go to the best Ford dealer in Arizona, Bell Ford, the Arizona Ford Giant, is the presenting partner of the Sunday special. Ask to see our friend Kevin Wood. Tell him Ice Time Hockey SW sent you to see the top selling line of Ford trucks and more. The D Resort and Casino, from Fremont Street Experience to the iconic American Coney Island Restaurant. We are more than just a great gaming action. Book your spot at the D.com. Verizon, the 5G and the 5G Ultra Band for business that America's been waiting for. Buy summer skates. Fall, winter, doesn't matter. We still like to keep our drinks cold. Get your personalized koozies and shower shoes. Go to icetimehockeysw.com slash partners and click on the summer skates banner. Buy Behind the Mask and behindthemask.com where we can provide for all your hockey needs on the ice or in line. See the website and our three via locations for more. Whether it's playoffs time or any time, it's always time for the best barbecue in Las Vegas. Call us at 1-702-541-5546 or go to jessieraysbarbecue.com. Jesse Ray's Barbecue, it's all about the butt. Buy M-Drive. Go to mdriveformen.com. Use the promo code ICETIMESW at checkout 
for 20% off. M-Drive for energy, stamina, and recovery. The D Las Vegas Resort and Casino, Professional Hockey Southwest Weekly, and all the Ice Time Hockey SW podcasts are live every week on the Podbean app, available for download the iTunes Store, the Podbean, Google Play Store, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio, and on the TuneIn app. Ask Alexa to turn on your ITHSW podcast. Professional Hockey Southwest Weekly is presented by Circuit Resort and Casino and is part of the IcetimeHockeySW.com network. Very well done, my friend, and thank you for another great show. Our thanks to Tom Callahan for joining us to, tonight and uh, getting in deep into the uh, AHL, NHL thoughts and uh, questions that remain out there as far as when this uh, next hockey season will start on the professional side of things. But we'll say goodnight with little Roger Klein and the Peacemakers. Good night, everybody.